You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, Nehemiah chapter 13, and I won't have you stand tonight. Uh, We're going to be covering quite a bit of this chapter here. And... um, So I was having a tough time deciding what to read, and we're going to look at all of it. So uh, Nehemiah chapter 13 is where we're going to be. I was looking back, and I don't know, I get sentimental. I just do. I don't know um, why that is, but two years ago tonight, I started Nehemiah. Oh, kind of embarrassed by that. Uh, Of course, we haven't been in the series the whole time. Um, And uh, there's been a few other series along the way that I would insert but Nehemiah is what I come back to. But two years ago, and I thought, well, I'll do another one after this. And I think the Lord was like, you know, you need to wrap this thing up, okay? It's time to be done. And so uh, Nehemiah 13, this may be the last one tonight. So um, it's, it's been a help to me through this, but it's been a little bit disjointed, I know. Um, Nehemiah has, had a, a, has been a testimony um, to the work of God. What an incredible turnaround. From the, from, think about the beginning of the book. Think about all the way at the beginning. When we first met Nehemiah, uh, there, was, there were no walls. There was no momentum. There was no revival. And there was no truly active work of God. I mean, the, the, the work in the temple was trying, kind of, just kind of, um, just barely inching along. But there was no protection. There were, I mean, there was just no momentum. And now we come down to the end of the, chat of the book and All of those things are present. They've just come through a time of revival in which God's word has taken effect on God's people. And and they've experienced a fresh and sincere moving of God. They they just got done dedicating the walls. We talked about that. They walked the walls. I'll I'll never forget that image, how Nehemiah led one, Ezra led, led another one, and they walked the walls and sang and sang loud to dedicate the walls to the Lord. I just, I wish I could have seen that. And if I was to sum this up, I would say that a fire had been lit in Jerusalem. There was a revival fire. Um, but, but something happens that often does in that the fire that has been burning or had been burning so brightly now faces danger of being extinguished. One of our family favorite pastimes when we um, had property, we had seven acres in, in Oklahoma, and, and one of the things that you constantly, you could do all the time is, is clear brush, cut branches, put it in a pile and burn it. And I mean, there was just something satisfying about that. And we, we spent hours and hours and hours, and that's what we did on our I mean, on my day off, that's what we did in our free time. We would, I'd get a chainsaw and, and Aaron would get, you know, those loppers and she would go to one tree and, and try to carve it up, you know, and I would go to another tree and take it down and we would take these branches and all the brush and we would try to clear it and we wanted it to be nice and open under the trees and, and we would put it in a pile and just to watch it burn to nothing, it, it felt satisfying. But, you know, fire was, a, we, we, we used fire a lot and there's a few things I learned about fire um, number one is never start one with gasoline. And I, I personally, I mean, I may have used a little bit of gasoline at times of a fire, 
um, wasn't uh, lighting very well, but, but I know you don't use gasoline. One time we went, we went out is when Lacey was much younger and, and her and her friends, uh, she had a, some of her little friends with her and they wanted to start a fire and, and I saw them over there. Uh, somebody caught them with a gas can and all the fuel and they were getting ready to start a fire. And I mean, fortunately, somebody intervened and saw that happen. You don't start a fire with gasoline. You just don't. I learned that. Uh, I also learned um, if the conditions aren't right, a fire can sometimes be very hard to start. I mean, if, it, if something's wet, if, if, it's, you know, if it's not the right conditions, if, if, and just there's a lot of things that play into it. They're usually, and another thing I learned is they're usually easier to start when you don't want them to. Remember one time, I don't even know how it happened. We were, we were clearing brush, we were burning trees and the wind picked up. And before we knew it, suddenly the fire had, had gone across the property and it had uh, caught this down there. We call them cedar trees down there. I'm, maybe you call them that as well up here. They're, they've got the blue uh, berries. I think they're, they're western or eastern red cedar is what they are. And, and it caught, and they have, they're so full of sap, that one little flame and that thing goes up like, um, like, uh, 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 like fireworks. It just exploded. And so I had a friend on a tractor and he's trying to you know, drag the brush around it so it doesn't spread. And we're just praying. We called the fire department. Fortunately, uh, the wind changed and, and rescued a bunch of trees for us. And, but but you, sometimes you don't want a fire to start and it starts. Um, even if it's some, another thing I learned, even if it takes a while to start a fire, it requires much more attention to keep one going. And I'm going to say that again, and that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make, is that even if it takes a while to start a fire, it requires much more attention to keep one going. See, a General William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army, and he once said to a group of young officers, it's the nature of a fire to go out. You must keep it stirred and fed and the ashes removed. You know, and I, don't, I haven't really thought about that very much, but it's true. It's the nature of a fire to go out. It takes work to keep one going. We had a wood stove in our house. I mean, in case you don't, you're wondering, I'm, I like fire. I'm kind of a pyromaniac. We had one outside. We had one inside. Um, we had a wood burning stove in our house and, and it was like a, you know, like a teenage boy. If you had to feed it every few hours or it's going to die, you know, in the middle of the night, I, in the winter time, I'd get up and, and I'd wake up around three o'clock in the morning. I'd literally set my, my alarm through the winter and get out there and stock the fire. So we'd have one in the morning and I love a good wood burning stove, but having a fire requires work. It, it requires a lot of work. It requires diligent attention it, and not to mention all the cleanup. And it usually takes more attention and resolve after a fire is started than it does to start a fire. And, and really, that is a summary of what's happening here in Nehemiah 13. Because there had been a fire going in Jerusalem. Revival had swept through. And yet we find out that the, the, the kind of attention a fire requires... Because chapter 13 takes place, and there's a lot of year, there are a lot of years that have been, that we've gone through here by the time we get to Nehemiah 13. This actually takes place 12 years after Nehemiah first went to King Artaxerxes to ask about going to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. So we're, from Nehemiah 1 to Nehemiah 13, it's fitting, it's a 12 year gap. 
By the time we get to chapter 13, Nehemiah actually had been back in Persia. And it seems like he'd been back in Persia for some period of time. Um, and, and so he isn't even around. He's not, um, he's not, look down at verse 6, Nehemiah 13, verse 6. It says, but in all this time was not I at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. So it seems like Nehemiah has been back in Persia actually for a while, maybe, um, maybe a year or two. So this is 12 years after Nehemiah had first gone to Artaxerxes and asked him for permission to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. We're now 12 years later. Nehemiah has been back in Persia and it seems like he's actually been working for the king again because it says there at the end of verse 6 that he obtained leave of the king. So I wonder, and I'm wondering if maybe he was back in in his original position with the king. He's back there, he's done his work, and he's back. Makes you wonder. It appears, though, that, he's, that he hears about what's going on in Jerusalem or he, he has a feeling he needs to get back somehow, so he comes back. And, and it's true, then, in this passage, we get this very important spiritual universal truth that parents are con- continually convinced of. And that is when the cat's away, the mice will play. And honestly, that's what it seems like is happening here. It's true for kids. It's true in God's work. I mean, here, I mean, there, Nehemiah leaves and suddenly things don't go well. We're going to see that. When Nehemiah comes back, he discovers the mice have been playing and they've, they've done almost all they can to put out the fires. They, they've done all they can. Uh, the fire that was started, the revival that was sweeping through, the excitement this momentum and they're, they're, they've extinguished most of the fire. And tonight I want to look at five fire extinguishers or five fire killers from this chapter that we need to be on the lookout for. And you might call this how to put out a fire. And the first that I see here is wrong associations. You know, there won't be many things in your life that will put out your fire than you surrounding yourself with people that don't love God. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned that curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass, when they heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. So somehow the law has been read in the congregation and and they've come to the point where they realize that for however many number of years, they have become a mixed multitude. They've allowed the Ammonites, they've allowed the Moabites into the congregation and it started to affect the fires that were burning in Israel at one point. God had commanded separation from these because of their treatment of Israel in the wilderness. But, and, but, but we see it impacting the nation. They allowed the mixed multitude to come in. They allowed these pagans to come in. And we see that it's affected their fire. And I say this often, but I truly believe our associations have more impact on our spiritual lives than perhaps any single other influence. Proverbs 13, 20, um, uh, Solomon wrote, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, 
but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And you say, well, you quote that verse too much. Well, I believe it's true. Uh, there's no better indicator of your future, where you'll be tomorrow, than who your friends are today. You know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's the phrase that sticks in my mind. Look, I mean, just look at the impact of their associations. They, they allowed the, the Ammonites and the Moabites to come into the congregation. And I'm sure at some point early on, they thought, you know, they won't really affect us all that much. Let's let a few in. And they did. But I want you to look, look at what happens. This really blows my mind. Look, look, look down in verse 4. And before this, Elisha, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God was allied unto Tobiah. Now, Tobiah, now do, I don't know if you remember the name, Tobiah. Tobiah was an enemy of God. Tobiah was a man that hated God. He hated God's work. He hated God's people. You remember Sanballat and Tobiah? Yeah, same guy right here. And the, the priest, Eliashib, was friends with Tobiah. Look at verse 5. Look what he allows him to do. And he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, and the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the offerings of the priests. And so they have this chamber that used to be filled with all of, this equi- all of the resources and materials that they would use for worship. But we find out later that they had neglected their duties to the, to the house of God. And so the room was empty. And there's a great principle, and it's not the point of the passage. I'm not preaching it tonight. But when you neglect your responsibility, it leaves a hole. And it's going to be filled by something a lot worse than what you thought. Because they take this empty chamber because people aren't giving, people aren't thinking about their responsibility to God's house, and there's an empty, an empty room, and they let Tobiah come in and use it to store his stuff. Remember, this is the same guy that stood outside the walls and mocked them, called them names, put, got an army together to come take them out. And, and this guy, Eliashib, this priest, is allowing Tobiah to use a chamber in God's house as a storage unit for his stuff. Look at verse 7. Um, it says, And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore, and I love Nehemiah. Okay, this is my favorite chapter. We've looked at lots of great chapters in Nehemiah and a lot of good things about Nehemiah, a lot of things he did. But I, I, he gets a little bit salty in Nehemiah 13. And I like it. It says, It grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Can you just picture that? Don't you wish that was you? And you're like, this stuff does not belong here. And you're just taking stuff, throwing it out the window. You're tossing it out. You're like, this does not belong here. I'm throwing it out. And just for good measure, look what he does in verse 9. Then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. But I love that he cleans the chamber. For good measure, he calls in the cleaning crew and they sanitize the chamber with chemicals recommended by the CDC and the EPA known to kill all viruses, including every strain of COVID-19. I like it. He wants to wash the Ammonite cooties out of the temple of God. Wouldn't that have been fun to watch? 
In just a little bit, we're going to see he starts slapping people and pulling their hair. So just, it gets better. Okay, here we go. You know, if this was a fire extinguisher, it's the importance. You know, if we're going to call this you wrong associations, if we're going to call it a fire extinguisher, I would say that this is letting the ashes build up too much in your life. Letting the dirt build up a little bit too much. And letting it build up and the fire is going to eventually go out pretty soon. You know, we find, here's the point, compromise never stays at a distance. You know, it was just some Ammonites, it was Moabites, and pretty soon there's an Ammonite living in the temple of God, taking a, a space where God's, God's stuff used to be stored. You know, give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. So I'm asking you tonight, if there's a fire extinguisher in your life of wrong associations, who are you associated with that's putting out your fires? Is it a close friend that it's not help, that's not helping your spiritual life? Is it a family member? And I, listen, I, I think you should have influence on your family. But I, I think I see it a lot how, how people are connected to their families to the point. But if there's a, to, that the family member who doesn't have the same priorities for God starts to affect a, a church member's love for God and involvement for God. And it starts to turn their heart. We've got to be careful of our associations. Is there an online influence in your life that's turning your heart from God? Is there, are there entertainment choices that you're letting come into your life, in your mind, in your heart that are turning you from God? Are they extinguishing the fire of revival that should be in your life? You know, I, I don't think we realize how easy it is to be influenced by people that don't love God. I, mean, I remember preaching through Haggai back in, in May of last year and how um, he asked the priest, listen, if, if I touch something holy, does it make me holy? And they said, no, it doesn't. But they said, but if I, if I touch something unholy, does it make me unholy? And they said, well, yes, it does. Meaning that holiness is not transferable. In other words, just because you're hanging out with godly people or holy people, people that love God, it's, it's a lot harder for that to rub off on you than it is to be around people that don't love God. They tend to rub off you a lot easier. Come on, Trey, amen. And, and when we think we're going to help them and know they're hurting us, and, and I, mean, I feel like I'm preaching to young people tonight, I mean, it's that kind of a message, but I think we need to hear it sometimes. Our associations don't always help us in our walk with God. In this day and age, all you have to do is walk around and you start to get dirty. So why would we invite it in by choosing associations that don't love God? Why would we let it into our lives? I'm not saying don't interact with the world, but you be the influencer, not the other way around. And you might say, well, at least they got it right. I mean, it says that they read in the book of the law and they got it right and they, they did things right. Well, I, I agree they did, but I want to know this. How did they go so long without realizing it was hurting them? And then that leads to the second fire extinguisher. So wrong associations would be the first. If you want to put out the fire uh, of revival, if you want to put out a fire of zeal for God in your life, then it starts with wrong associations. But another one is neglecting God's word. See, I, I wonder, the law made it absolutely clear that they should be separated from the pagan influences of the land. By my math, I looked at a timeline, and, I've, and I say that they had the law at this point in Nehemiah 13, they had had the law for about a thousand years. You know, they should have known better. They should have known that, that they, Moses wrote the law and, and they had Moses' writings. They read it, they could have read it any time. 
but they come now and they've allowed it to be so impactful to them, it started to affect them. And I'm wondering, where was the word of God before Nehemiah 13? It seems like for a number of years, they just let this stuff go. You know, there's no quicker way to put out a fire than to stop feeding it. A fire needs fuel. It won't keep burning. It's the nature of a fire to burn out. And you need a steady intake of your, of, for your spiritual life or it's going to burn out. And, and I talk about God's word because it seems natural that they had neglected it for a long time. But I do believe that many Christians are starving because they think, well, eating two days a week is good enough. You know, I, I go to church on Sundays, I go to church on Wednesdays, and that should be enough. Well, I'm asking you, if all you did was eat on Sundays and Wednesdays physically, how would you feel? You know, and it's not good enough. And, and listen, I can, I can try to preach God's word and I can try to teach it to you, but you are responsible to feed yourself the rest of the week. And, 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 I, and I've heard this, you know, in my ministry already. It's like, well, I'm not getting fed at church, you know. And I, so I just want to ask, well, okay, are you eating at home? Come on. Amen. Be, because it's not my responsibility to be your walk with God. And we heard Brother Ruckman preach a couple Wednesdays tonight uh, ago, pr- uh, priesthood of the believers. You have direct access to God. It is your responsibility. You have personal responsibility to feed yourself with God's word throughout the week. And don't assume that eating two days a week is going to be good enough. And I think sometimes we need to get out of the mentality. And, and I said this a couple weeks ago to young people. I said, you need to just, you need to stop reading the Bible. I'll leave, I'll leave that one there for a while. Well, here's why. Because we get into the habit of just reading the Bible. Okay, well, I got my chapters done. You know, the Bible's a lot bigger on memorizing and meditating on the, on the Bible than it is just reading the Bible. In other words, you can just read through your Bible and never get fed. You're, you're not really, it's like eating junk food. You're not really, you know, it's not really sustaining you. It's not helping you. And I'm saying, so rather than just read your Bible, I think sometimes it'd be good for us to slow down on how much we get done and just focus on a few verses or maybe one verse. Memorize it, meditate it, feed it, chew on it like a cow chewing on the, on the cud. I mean, sometimes we need that. And I just want to tell you, listen, if you want to burn out the turn out, uh, what, if you want to put out the fire of your life, stop reading the Bible. You know, you just, just let it, set it aside. And pretty soon your fire is going to go out. No wonder our, fire, our revival fires don't last. They run out of fuel. If you forsake God's word, you can forget revival fires. The third, so we've got wrong associations, we've got neglecting God's word, then we've got forsaking God's house. Look at, this is another, another way to put out a fire in your life, is to forsake God's house. Say, I knew you were going to preach on this. Well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and I'm pretty passionate about God's house. Look at verse 10. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled everyone to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. I don't know what that means, but I like the sound of it. He sets them in their place. You know, he reminds them uh, of their responsibility to God's house. The Levites, it says, they were supposed to be supported by the giving of God's people, but they're back out in the fields. Meaning that they weren't supported by the giving anymore because remember that chamber, they, it was empty. 
I mean, all the stuff they were using for worship, the people weren't giving. There was, there was emptiness in God's house and it was, be, it was being filled by Tobiah's stuff and people weren't giving and the Levites didn't have enough resources. So they were out in the fields. They were working the fields when God had, had set it up for them to be supported by the giving of God's people. This is not the way it's supposed to work. And listen, I'm not saying that, that if a person is in the ministry, I'm not even saying something about bivocational pastors or anything. That's not my point tonight i'm saying for the temple the levites weren't supposed to be doing this they they were out working this is not the way god planned it those serving in the temple were supposed to live of the giving of god's people but they neglected their responsibility to god's house they had forsaken the priority of god's house and it was no longer functioning according to the lord's plan turning away from god's house is a priority listen if you want to put out the fire of your life neglect god's house That's what's happening right here. Attendance is of greatest importance. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see to the day approaching. And I don't even have to make a case. All you have to do is read that verse and know, I need to be in God's house, not less in this day and age, but more in this day and age. Not forsaking the assembling, and they were forsaking the, the, the God, God's house. They were forsaking not just the assembling, they were forsaking their responsibility. Listen, I, and it's in the text, and I don't preach on giving a whole lot, but our investment in God's house is of greatest importance. And I say that on a night where we just voted to give away $25,000 to the work of God, and I'm thankful. But listen, don't lose sight of that. Your investment keeps you connected to God's work. You know, and the way that I would say it tonight is um, your investment keeps you interested. You know, what you invest in, you're interested in. Uh, my wife and I, we have some investments um, uh, it, through outside. And I mean, just about every day I check it. And it's been pretty discouraging for the last year. It's getting better and I'm thankful for that. But you know why I'm interested? Because I'm invested. And, and, and the Bible says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And there's a connection between your investments and, and, and God's work and your heart. And so I'm encouraging you. Listen, um, you, you may feel yourself disconnecting. Um, when you're disconnecting from God's work and God's house, just decide, you know what? I need to be more invested and find another way to invest even more. I'm not even just saying give more. I'm not even talking about money, but maybe just spend a day at the church doing whatever needs to be done. I'm telling you, the more investment, invested you are, the more interested you'll be. And they, if they, they lost their interest because they were no longer invested, they'd forsaken their, their, their God's house. They'd forsaken their responsibilities. So Nehemiah reestablishes a plan. He puts them back in their place. And he says, no, you be here. These are your responsibilities. I love how he does this all throughout. He doesn't just rant and rave. He gives them a plan. And I appreciate it very much. We're going to move forward. So forsaking God's house, that will extinguish the flames of revival. Number four, if you want to extinguish the flames of revival, here's how to put out a fire. Downplay the Lord's day. Downplay the Lord's day. So we've got wrong associations, neglecting God's word, forsaking God's house, and downplaying the Lord's day. Look at verse 15. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses, some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, 
and bringing in sheaves and lading asses as also wine, grapes and figs and all manner of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath day unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. So I'm not going to go into all of this, but merchants were working on the Sabbath day. They were selling their wares. They were out there making money on the Sabbath. And I don't know that there's a more basic command from God's law than remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I mean, they were out breaking God's law. Look at verse 17. Then I contended. I love the, again, I love Nehemiah. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, what evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon the city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. He says, we've already been in trouble for this before. I mean, God judged us. God sent us to Babylon. I mean, Israel's not even, you know, the ten tribes of the north aren't even around anymore. I mean, and we're only here because God had mercy and brought us back. We've already been in trouble for this before. Why are you doing it again? Verse 19. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath. So he sets up some, some guards. And before the Sabbath day, he shuts the gates so nobody can bring in their stuff and start selling it. And he says, the gates will be shut for now, and we're not going to open them again until after the Sabbath. Well, look at verse 20. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. So the merchants, they see that the gates are shut, and they start sleeping right outside the gates. Because they think, well, if I still have a chance, maybe I can sell through the bars. You know, I can, I can work something out with somebody up on the wall. But we're going to just sleep right here because, because we're going to sell as much as we can when we can. We don't really care what Nehemiah says. But look at verse 21. Then I testified against them. And, and it sounds so spiritual, right? Then I testified against them and said unto them, why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Skittles. Okay. I love it. I will lay hands on you. And this is not, it's not an invitation to slow dance. This is, Nehemiah says, we're going to fight. We're going to throw down. We're going to throw hands. I will lay hands on you. You like this, don't you? Verse 22. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of, of, of thy mercy. Listen, Nehemiah is not just doing this because he's mad. He's not just doing this to, to throw his weight around. No, he wants things to be right. He wants them to get right. Don't miss that. I mean, I, from the very beginning, his heart for God's work and God's people has been clear. He wants change so God can bless Israel again. He doesn't get angry and walk away. No, he has righteous anger and he deals with it. And friends, this is true love. Meaning we often think that love is just about grace and mercy. And there is grace and mercy in love. 
But true love, real love, loves you enough not to let you stay in the condition that you're in. They're willing to take some steps so that you can change and you can get better. True love is not willing to let someone stay in the wrong for their sake. Nehemiah is not just out here. Just not, he's not out here just getting mad and yelling at everybody. No, he wants this to be better because he wants God to bless the people. And I'm telling you, don't turn a blind eye if someone isn't doing right. They're hurting themselves. And we're a family. Listen, we're a family. And I don't say that enough, but Eastside Baptist Church, we're a family. And, and I don't know about you, but there are plenty of conversations I have with my family Um, to help them to change something. And it's not because I'm just mean dad. It's because I want God's absolute best for everybody in my house. Amen. And and dads, if we're just throwing our weight around um, in a a wrong spirit and because, well, we've got the authority. No, that's that's not the spirit. The spirit is, I love you too much to allow you to stay where you are. And I want you to change because I want God to bless your life in a way that he's not right now because of what you're doing. I love you too much to let you stay there. That's the thought. We're a family and we should love each other too much to allow each other to stay where we are if we're not doing right. Downplaying the Lord's day is a fire extinguisher. Friends, don't let friends minimize the Lord's house and the Lord's day. Friends, don't let friends miss church without asking them about it, okay? I know that that may seem like we're meddling but, you know, I've looked around the room, and it didn't take me long to notice people that should be here tonight. Men that should be in this room right now. And, and maybe they were here this morning, or maybe they, they weren't here. But, I mean, I'm, I'm just giving you a transparent heart tonight. And listen, what I want to do is just text and say, we missed you. I mean, where were you? You're part of the family. You need to be here. You need to be here not just on Sunday night. You need to be here on Wednesday night. We want you here. You need to be here. You know, but, but some don't like to hear it, and I understand that, but listen, you should have a heart, and not to bust somebody's chops, but because you know that God's best for their life is found in God's house, and you love them too much to just let them skip or leave or not come. You say, I need to say something, because they need to be here, because they need what God has for them through his word and through this church family. No, don't let somebody just miss church without asking them about it. You say, well, they're going to get upset. Well, if you love somebody enough to not, let, not just leave them where they are, you'll decide someday it's more important for me to reach out and let them know I love them than it is for me to let them stay where they are. Number five, fire extinguisher, is a weakened home. Nehemiah was seeing the homes, not, it, wasn't just, it wasn't just church life, it wasn't just nation, national, it was weakened homes. Look at verse 23. In those days also saw I the Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Ammon and, and of Moab, and, of the, and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. So Nehemiah, he's probably walking around, he's seeing these things happen, and he's realizing that, that some of the Jews had married pagan wives. And their children weren't even speaking Hebrew. They were speaking half in a pagan language. And it obviously became distressing to Nehemiah. Look what he does. And and I'll just be honest, this is kind of my favorite part. (laughs) And I contended with them and cursed them. Now listen, he's not cussing at them. He's, 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 He's giving a curse to them 
based, I'm sure, on God's word. So if you, if you, because God is very clear about us extending hands to, to pagans and people of the land that don't love God because he knows the effect on, children, on the children of Israel. So Nehemiah curses them and says, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. And he, and he gets in their faces. But look, he, I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. I mean, it, it really feels like it's a nursery encounter at this point, doesn't it? I mean, he, he literally gets physical. He literally, he smites some of them. And I'm assuming the ones who were, who were, who were rebellious or who wouldn't, didn't want to listen to him. He smites some of them. He grabs them by the hair. And you say, well, that just doesn't sound very Christ-like to me. Except I just want to remind you, Jesus Christ went to the temple one day where they were selling and, and exchanging. And he got physical. I mean, he turned over some tables and he wasn't throwing a temper tantrum because everything he did was always right. But there is such a thing as righteous anger. And when something is bad enough and something is is wrong enough, I mean, we're talking literally about the children of Israel compromising who they serve. And Nehemiah takes matters into his own hands, and I truly believe that he does it in a righteous way. Now, listen, this is not a pattern for church discipline. That's not the point. But I do believe that Nehemiah is right in the way that he does it. Because if you'll notice, every time he deals with a problem, he says, Father, remember me. And, and help me to have mercy. And it's, it's helpful for us to know. Like, listen, this isn't obviously the answer to every problem. But if someone is far enough away from God, here's the point. Sometimes drastic measures need to be taken if people are going to be made right with God again. I mean, there will be times that drastic measures have to be taken if somebody's not doing right. And I've had to do a couple of those things in my time as a youth pastor and dealing with teenagers who were just so far gone. I mean, literally, I'm talking about leaving them in another city and calling their parents and saying they're so rebellious, I'm not even going to bring them home. You have to figure out a way to come and get them. And I know, I'm telling you, parents weren't very happy about it either. But in that moment, that young person needed something drastic to happen to him. And it took some serious, some serious steps. It took some conviction on my part. It took a strong decision. And it took me having to face parents that may be upset. But I'm telling you, that young man now, I'm thinking about him even right now. We left him in Oklahoma City and drove off. And I look now and he's married with a beautiful wife and a beautiful family. He loves and serves God with all of his heart. And I'm not saying that he did it because I took drastic measures, but that was part of his process. He had to be left to himself. And sometimes drastic measures need to be taken. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. Again, it's not a pattern to say this is how you deal with church problems. He's saying this is sometimes if someone is so far gone, you've really got to take drastic measures. But what I love about Nehemiah is he doesn't just get physical. He preaches truth. In verses 26 and 27, look, he says, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then 
hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? Listen, he's getting physical, yes, but he's appealing to them with truth. He's letting them hear truth they needed to hear. He says, listen, Solomon was so far gone. I mean, God gave him every opportunity to be a great king. And yet women, these women that he surrounded himself, wrong associations, they turned his heart from God. And why are we going to follow the same footsteps? Why would we go down that same path? Do you get the idea? Nehemiah is not just mad. He wants things to be right. And he loves him so much. Yes, he gets physical, but he gives him the truth. Verse 28, one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Man, this is good. I'm writing this down. He chased, one of them he chased. Drastic measures. Chased him down the street. But look at verse 29. Remember them, oh my God. Because they've defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of, of the Levites. Remember them, O Lord. He says it over and over because every time he corrects the people, listen, every time he corrects the people, uh, he calls on the Lord for mercy. Remember, it's a great balance, honestly. It's one thing to deal with people and give them the truth and even sometimes take drastic measures. We must always remember mercy. Always. And he does every time. He doesn't just get angry. He wants change. He's unwilling for Israel to carry on as they are. Look at verse 30. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the words of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business, and for the wood offering at times appointed and for first fruits. Look what he, how he ends the whole book. Remember me, oh my God, for good. He, he wants the best things to happen. He's not willing to just let it go. And he knew that if Israel's homes weren't pure, that's what he's dealing with. Remember, they were married to strange women. They were married to pagans of the land and their children weren't even speaking um, Hebrew. And, and he wants their homes to be pure. He knows that there's no way a nation will be pure if homes aren't pure. And I hope you see the picture here. See, spiritual fire can be stoked three or four hours a week in God's house. It can but the other 164 hours of the week are spent in your home. And parents, our children, yeah, I mean, the church, we can, you know, can do everything we can and, and it can be a help. But, but listen, I mean, most of the hours that our children spend are in our homes with us. Dads and moms, you're the steward of the kind of home you create. You have the vast majority of the week to teach God's word and model Jesus Christ and protect them from evil influences and show them mercy and show them love, but balance it with righteousness and justice. You have all of that time. And listen, the home might be the biggest fire extinguisher of it all. A church, yes, a church can help and in a few hours the word of God can take effect, but I don't know that it can overcome what's happening at home the rest of the week. You know, don't think that the church is here to, to just, you know, fix your problems and in the rest of the week you're not focusing on it. You know, God gave children to parents. He, he gave children to you. Your, your children are your responsibility and we take that seriously. Our, our homes should stoke the fire of a heart for God, not put it out. I can't tell you how many times as in, in my work with young people, a young person would get excited, I'm telling you, excited about God and go home and tell his parents and with just a couple of conversations, they fix that. 
God help me as a dad if my influence at home convinces my children to extinguish their spiritual fires. I don't want to fan those flames. And I'm asking you tonight, there's a lot of things, a lot of th- in this text, we've gone through a whole chapter. Do you have spiritual fire extinguishers in your life? Do you have things in your life right now that are putting out the fire? You have some wrong associations, either some friends or influences that are kind of feeding the wrong mentality toward you and they're putting out the fire? Do you, have you forsaken God's word? You put it down, you're not listening to it, you're not really paying attention, and maybe even you're reading it, but you're not really meditating or memorizing. Have you forsaken God's house? Have you, have you kind of let it slide? And, or have you, have you forsaken or neglected the Lord's day and, and kind of you know, let other things take priority in your life? And what about at home? Is there, is there a spiritual fire extinguisher in your home? And maybe the environment of your home is not helping things be spiritual. You know, one thing I can't miss in all of this, and those are good questions, but one of the things I can't miss in all of this is how much Nehemiah loved God and he loved God's people and he loved God's house. He encouraged separation and obedience. He encouraged holiness and purification. But he wasn't doing it as a Pharisee. It's because he loved Israel. He loved the right things so much. And he loved God's people. And he loves God's house. And he loves God. His motives were never uh, about no, 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 no. No, he was saying the no so that they could enjoy something far greater. He was, he was saying, we've got to say no to these things that are putting out the fires so that we can say yes to a fulfilling, content-filled, content satisfying relationship with God. That's what God wants. And there are times where, you know, where you've got to say no to some things, not as a Pharisee, but because if you, if you say no to the things that are lesser, you can say yes to the things that are better. And I get that feeling from Nehemiah, this whole chapter, is that he has in mind the whole time, listen, we say no to the Ammonites so you can say yes to God. Prioritize God's house, prioritize his Sabbath so you can have contentment in your relationship. Protect your home so your children can know and enjoy God like they should. And he ends the book and a sign of his heart, he says, I, I want this for good. I, I, want, I don't want to settle. We should never get to the place that we say no for the sake of being against everything. No, our priority is that we're for God and we're for God's people and we're for God's house. And if you'll prioritize the things that God does, then it will make a lot of decisions for you, actually. So my priority is I'm for God's people, I'm for God's house, and I'm for God. And then the associations, who your friends are, those decisions start to be made because you're thinking, oh, I'm for these things, and this friend's not helping me with that. You know, if those are your priorities, it helps you make the decisions when it comes to what you do on the Lord's Day. Because if you're for God, you're for God's people, and you're for God's house. Brother Juan and I were talking about it this week, and and just talking about, you know, a long time ago, um, our family made a decision, and his family did too. It would be more real for him because I was raised in church. I mean, I, I, I never had an option. Well, at some point along the way, the Vargas family, um, God did enough work in their heart that they said, you know what? This is a decision we don't even have to talk about on Wednesdays and Sundays. We're just going to go. Because I truly believe, because Brother Juan and many other families, many other dads have made the decision a long time ago. No, I want what's best. I want what's good and best for my family. And therefore, I don't even have to make a decision. It's made for me. If I want that, if I want what's best, 
then it makes my decision for me. It makes my pro- sets my priorities for me. It sets the lines I draw at home because my desire is so strong that my children know and enjoy God. I want the very best for them. And that makes some of the things that we could do at home kind of filters them out. And I mention these to remind you, we don't say no because we like to say no. And I know I've made some jokes about Nehemiah getting physical tonight. But, you know, he was saying no because there was something better. And there are no more important yeses than your relationship with God and your love for God's people and your love for God's house. But some of us have fire extinguishers in our lives even right now. It's killing the fire that should be burning brightly in your spiritual life. It's affecting our ability to prioritize the things that should matter the most. We've been talking about fire. So I'm asking tonight, how's your fire? If a one is a dying ember, and that summarizes your Christian life right now, and a 10 is a white hot flame, and you say, I really think I'm over here, and I'm on fire. That's great. I'm thankful for it. But you should do an evaluation tonight. And if this is a scale, and that's a dying ember on its last leg, and that's a white hot fire, where are you somewhere? And you say, well, I'm probably like right in the middle somewhere. Hey, well, Revelation says, be hot or cold. It's not really a great place to be. But I would, be, I would, I would venture to say, many of God's people, they say, well, I'm not, I'm not dying But I'm also not white hot. And if that puts you in the middle, I can tell you you're trending that way more than you're trending that way. And like Booth said, it's a fire's nature to go out. So let's look at this in the positive. Let me me give you some help tonight. Here are the things that can help your fire keep going. You have the right friends in your life. And you make God's word a priority, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, but every day. Not only that, then uh, you've got, um, I'm missing it. I mean, I went blank there. Okay, wrong friends, right friends. God's word, God's house, make it a priority. The Lord's day, the Sabbath day. I know we're not, we're not under the law, but I still think it's pretty valid to give the Lord one day a week. So if you want to keep your fire going, have the right friends, get in God's word and stay there, Um, prioritize his house, don't miss the Lord's day, and then at home, moms and dads especially, build an environment that stokes the flame rather than putting them out. It's the nature of our spiritual excitement to be lost. And those things are vital to a strong burning spiritual flame and if you've allowed yourself to slip in any of these areas it is likely or will soon have you right over there extinguishing the flame of spirituality in your life and so i'm asking you tonight will you resolve to get rid of the extinguishers and maybe go out and chop some more wood and decide no i'm going to do the things that are going to feed the fire maybe get up feed the fire stoke the flames Decide, I don't want this to die because I want what's good. I want what's best. Uh, I love God. I love his people. I love his house. And I don't want this to die. I'm asking you tonight, how's your spiritual fire? Was it hotter this time last year? Was it hotter six months ago? Was it hotter last month or last week? And I'm asking you, then what has changed? 
It could be time to rid your life of a fire extinguisher or two. And you say, I really want to be a 10. I do. And I, I do. I want to be a 10. So let's not settle for cold. Let's not settle for burned out. Let's not allow the fire extinguishers that are sitting around in our lives to just stay there. No, let's toss them out the window. Maybe like Nehemiah, who went into that chamber and looked around at Tobias' stuff and said, gross. And he took it, he threw it out the window, he was throwing it outdoors. People walking by here and all the racket thinking, man, this guy's crazy. No, he wanted things to be right. And you tonight might say, I want things to be right so much, I'd even be willing to take some drastic measures to get rid of some fire extinguishers. Because they're putting out the flames in my life. Dads, are they putting out the flames in your family? Moms, are, is there something in your life that's putting out the flame and, and you're not where you used to be and you want to be a 10, but you're maybe like a four. Now it's time to get rid of some things. Teenager, and you th- listen, teenagers can be on fire for God. I've seen revival start in, young, in youth, youth, youth departments. People get on fire and they're, they're sold out. And listen, there's no reason a young person in this room can't say, I want to be a 10. You know what? You might inspire all the, all the fuddy-duddies around you to say, you know what? I can't let them be that committed, and I'm over here at a four. I'm telling you, if God wants to do something with your life, and I believe he wants to do something at Eastside Baptist Church, and I think revival is on the verge if we would just say, you know what? I'm going to get rid of the things that keep putting out my fires. It's time. Let's, let's not hold back. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's get rid of the fire extinguishers and let's say, I, I want to be a 10. I want to be a 10 for God. I want to be on, on fire. Let's stand together. We're going to have a verse of invitation. And I'm just going to pray and then ask God to move among us. And if God's moved in your heart about some extinguisher in your life, would you be willing to set it aside tonight so that you can be on fire for the Lord? Father, pray that you have your will and way that we would not hold back anything from you All of us have some things in our life that probably keep us from being tens. But it doesn't have to be that way. I think you've got some really great things in store for us if we'd be willing to set some things aside. And maybe we should be willing to take the drastic kind of measures that Nehemiah did. He didn't hold back. He wanted things to be done so right that he was willing to take take some drastic, serious steps. Lord, help us to be willing to do those, to take those steps for the things in our lives that are keeping us from burning as bright as we know you want us to. Lord, have, have your work in our lives. Do, do a work. Help us, Lord, to want revival and want, want a real relationship with you so much, Lord, that we'd be willing to take some steps tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.